Good morning. Good morning. I thought, I know we don't normally do this, but I thought we might go abroad to begin with. I Is that say. okay? Can we go abroad? Abroad. Abroad. Well, I mean, because there has been something approaching a tsunami, of which I mean a political tsunami, of course, in Malaysia. You've got the world's longest running ruling party in a, and I put it in quotes, in a democratic system, having been defeated at the polls last night. This is UMNO, the United... Well, it's the Barisan Nacional, that's the, the coalition, but essentially it's UMNO, which mm. is the main component of that, the United Malays National Organisation. And they have managed, but despite rigging the polls, I mean, despite changing all the constituency border boundaries, despite offering bribes to the electorate before the election, the electorate's just turned around going, nah, your time is up, boys. The fact that the incoming Prime Minister was the Prime Minister before, <laughs> Mahathir Mohamed was the Prime Minister before for 20-odd years, is perhaps an interesting qualifying factor here. But what this does show... Yes. I know, I know. There's, there's complications here. The fact that the coalition that Mahathir leads is a very motley collection of Islamic extremists, of reformers, of people like him who come from the old order... Is also um, contains enormous potential for things to go wrong once he takes over again as Prime Minister. Yep. Um, and I'm not going to be ageist and point out that he's over 90, therefore he's probably not going to be Prime Minister for that long. But anyway... No one said that, actually. Nobody said that, no. But anyway, but the, the fact of the matter is, and this is where I think there is some relevance to Hong Kong, is the odds seem to be so formidable against change that the idea that in an election that was rigged, you could still somehow overcome these odds. Well, as it happens, you couldn't do that in Hong Kong because the, edu- the election system is even more rigged than it even is in Malaysia. But it does show that people shouldn't be giving up mm. the election road for changing things. With all the qualifications, I'm sure things will go wrong. I'm sure terrible things will happen, all of that. With all those qualifications, it is very significant that this has happened happened in a country in our neighbourhood. I'll tell you what, after having um, helped Harvey Stockwin do his programme for quite a number of years, my big question is all about Anwar Ibrahim. Well, this is a very interesting thing, because Mahathir, as well as emerging from retirement to lead the opposition, having been the quintessential um, uh, establishment figure, who was always falling out with people. I mean, he fell out with Anwar, who was his deputy, yeah. big time. Anwar is now in jail. He's been hit. He was hit with sodomy charges and then corruption. And, you know, basically they said, look through the telephone book and see what we can charge you with. So what will happen now? I mean, Anwar is a supporter of the new victorious coalition. You would think the first thing that would happen is that he would be released from jail. Well, let's see. Let's see about that. You would then wonder what the second thing would be. I mean, would he yet again emerge as the deputy to Mahathir? How would that work? On, on they, his way up. On his way up, yeah. exactly. Now, Anwar, too, is no longer a young man, but he's considerably younger than, than Mahathir. So, I mean, this, this is very interesting stuff. Mm. And what people have overlooked in the, in the defeat of Amno, um, or the Barisan, which is the coalition, is that the, the component parts of it, because of Malaysia's racial divisions, you had a Chinese party, you have an Indian party, by which I mean racially Chinese, racially Indian, they're all Malaysians. Um, the leaders of both of the Indian and the Malay- and the Chinese party were actually defeated in this election. 
So, you know, the old way of doing things, of forming a coalition led by the majority racial group, the Malays, but with the active support of the establishment of the Chinese and Indian communities, that also seems to have broken down. This is, this is shattering in so many ways for Malaysia. Hmm. So, um, I, 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 you know, the use of hyperbole is always dangerous. I mean, not on radio programs, but, you know, everywhere else in the world. But I do think this is a, this, this is a cataclysmic event. The other thing that might involve younger generations, for obvious reasons, is this massive resurgence some time ago of Sharia law in parts of Malaysia. Well, that, of course, is, is, is another explosive um, element in this whole mixture because some of the most active proponents of extreme forms of Islam. And remember, Malaysia has traditionally been a very tolerant Muslim society. Hmm. That's been the overwhelming characteristic of, of uh, Malay Islam. But the proponents of this very extreme form of Islam are very active and very prominent in the coalition that has led to the downfall of the government. So yet again, Will Mahathir, I mean, he's a crafty, wily old, what's it, um, will, will he accommodate them or will he sort of find a way of pushing those people to the sidelines? There's a lot to play for in all of this. Absolutely. Well, the next few days are going to be very important with, with pertinence to Anwar, I think. Well, let's see. I mean, I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of the people who, who, who wanted Najib to be removed as Prime Minister also are expecting to see Anwar come out of jail. Right, let's bring it down to the really important stuff, shall we? I've got an email here from Pete I want to chuck at you. <coughs> Go on. Pete says, once again, he's on railways. He says, once again, we're told that co-location at West Kowloon is simply about convenience for passengers. Frederick Marr on Sunday. Yet the concern for convenience doesn't seem to extend to buying tickets for various destinations in China or smooth connections to trains on China's high-speed network. Even pro-government lawmaker Michael Teen describes the situation as ridiculous. I can only agree with him, says Pete. And let me add another thing to that. Not only will you not be able to buy a ticket... I mean, this is just bonkers 101. But not only will you not be able to buy a ticket, but we now heard from the same very wonderful Mr. Ma that um, there's going to be restrictions on the size of the luggage you can bring onto the train. So this convenience is, is, is whittling down by the day. Isn't that normal, though? No. It's only a train. You can't put no, no, containers, no, no. The, loads the, the, of stuff. The maximum size for your average punter is, is a 20-kilo bag. I mean, that's actually smaller than the size that you can put on, on, on a lot of So the small airlines. print is the small print now. Yes. So what we're hearing, it's trickling out. Mm-hmm. This, this thing which is sold, you know, they say, oh, please forget the politics. Just focus on the convenience of this. Well, I think the ticketing thing will be overcome because, of course, what will happen is the MTR, which actually operates the station, the bits of it that aren't under Chinese control, will... <laughs> the room that isn't under Chinese control. <laughs> the room that isn't under Chinese control, that's the one near the litter basket, um, will, we'll, it seems, now will be handing over the, the bulk of the ticketing business to China Travel Service. And because these people have got used to, every time somebody from north says jump and they go how high, they're kind of going, oh, all right, China Travel Service, they'll take over the ticketing. Uh, baggage restrictions, well, mm, um, okay, yeah, you've told us to do that. So... What's going to be next? I'm really interested. You know, once you once you allow the bully to take your lunch, which, you know, happens in playgrounds, mm-hmm. and bash you in the head, guess what? They'll come back the following day and say, hey, where's your lunch? I want it today as well. Yeah. 
Well, oh, I, incidentally, I won oh. three and sixpence. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> well, actually, no, I was very sarcastic this morning, and I, I, I suppose that an email had occurred about the day-to-day running of this place, and it was called How, but we kind of... Don't worry about that. Let's, let's go down that avenue for a second. So back to Pete's email. He puts in inverted commas, convenience for passengers. Now, let's calm it down and just say, actually, how... Really, how is this convenient for passengers? Well, th- th- this, on so many levels, is, is a pertinent question. Number one, <coughs> if you want to go use this new railway to go to Guangzhou, you are taken from a station which is, for a lot of people, quite hard to get to, i.e. the new Kowloon station. Mm-hmm. You're taken to a part of Guangzhou which you certainly don't want to go to because there's nothing there. So you'll arrive in Guangzhou, Mm. and from there you will have to um, get another train or a taxi or something to some place you realistically... You really think you're going to be able to find a taxi there? Well, that's... Bearing in mind what you've just said. Well, the other question is, of course, is that unless you've got the right app, you're you're a casual traveller, because it's quite hard to hail taxis in the street. You, you may well not be able to find a taxi. OK, come on. You're telling so me how it's inconvenient for the passengers now, yes. but we'll go with it. Oh, oh, sorry, did you want me to say how it was convenient? <laughs> I, want, I wanted you to try, well, well, but carry okay. on. Uh, uh, let me try. I mean, the, the, the legend that's being spun, and it's not entirely untrue, is that there will be more seamless connections through to other Chinese cities. Now, okay. the fact of the matter is that the bulk of the traffic is between Hong Kong and Guangzhou or Hong Kong and Shenzhen. But anyway, so you could theoretically now join the high-speed... A network going to Shanghai and on f- possibly on to Beijing. But you will have to change trains. You will, under this system, have to get tickets somewhere. But they're only touting this one as Hong Kong, Guangzhou, surely. Well, no, that's, that's, the, that's no, the no, beef. That's, no, but what they keep claiming, I mean, you know, I, I sit now in my role as government spokesman. Yeah. Can I say on behalf of the SAR government um, that, that they keep claiming that this, this is going to enhance connectivity, if you remember that word, connectivity, to chi- major Chinese cities throughout the nation? Just take a plane. Well, let's <laughs> take a plane. No, is, we should. No. Is one <laughs> option, yeah. That, that's also problem if you've taken because i bet I, honestly i mean what the, about the difference in prices between a, a short crummy flight and this is not much well particularly incidentally if you take a plane from hong kong airport yeah um the difference might be quite big but you just go over the border and go to shenzhen airport and prices drop like, like a stone or well i don't know if they fly to these places i, but. I, I think the cow's got less of a network but you go to shenzhen airport and you can fly to Beijing or fly to, to, to Shanghai for less than a thousand bucks. Funny. It's, it, I mean, the price difference is phenomenal. And, you know, it's still the whole same old crappy service. So, you know, <laughs> if you're going to have it, that crappy service, why not have it at a cheaper price, would be my view of things. So there is that. Okay. There is that. The planes are obviously. I love train journeys, but I'm not sure I want to. I'm not sure I'm excited by this. From where I live, in the new territories, it's still it is still going to be both cheaper and easier for me to get a train to Low Wu, and for many people, let's be honest. Yes. I mean, no. but I'm, I'm just saying. Well, the majority of Hong Kong people actually live in the new territories. Um, to to get a train to Low Wu, cross over the border, and then hop on a train to Guangzhou, it will still be cheaper. And the train that goes from there goes to the East Kowloon, uh, sorry, the East Guangzhou station, which is has a subway connection it is actually quite easy to get taxis there so you know 
if you look at total journey time, not station to station journey time, mm. which isn't relevant, the relevant thing is when do you get to your destination? So, Regina Ip acting like Cruella de Vil the other day doesn't really matter at all, does it? Because this thing will take care of itself. <coughs> well, Regina Ip, I mean, that's a kind of separate question. Sure. Because um, it's quite, quite interesting what her game is. Her game seems to be, oh, that's right, what her game always is. It's all about Regina. Now, she, yet again, is trying to attract the attention of the bosses because she was very disappointed that they didn't notice that she was the hard woman when it came to the chief executive election. I think they they took the view that she was yesterday's woman. But they're going to love the way she's been chairing this LegCo panel because... Well, she got a pat on the back from the chief executive. She got a pat on the back from... from, our dear leader, who, who I, I see is increasingly being known as 777. So she gets a pat on the back from Carrie Lamb. 777, incidentally, is the number of votes she got. Not the brand of cigarettes not, she not smokes. Not the brand of cigarettes or, or, or an aeroplane designation. <laughs> <laughs> so she gets a pat on the back from her for her firm, decisive and fair leadership. The firm, decisive and fair leadership included not allowing people to speak, flouting the rules of LegCo, and then saying... Shut up if anybody questions. Switching her. off their mics. Switching off That's their mics cracker, and having it? them ordered out of the chamber. I mean, you know, the whole thing was a farce. Because if you have major legislation, you are expected to scrutinise it. If you think that adequate scrutiny can be achieved by only allowing legislators to speak for one minute, um, boy. It's like that, a party that, game, isn't it's, it? It's, <laughs> it's more like that quiz they have on British radio called Just a Minute, which incidentally is a comedy quiz. With stand up for something. Well, I'll tell you what, Steve. It seems like Zimmerman was exactly was sitting down. Can't really tell you much more than that. Or the location, I yeah. hope. He damn well. He damn well was. <laughs> oh, I thank you. What do you want to do? Well, um, he, he was standing up with some other people yesterday, oh, yeah. protesting against this decision of the town planning board to allow the Ivies, the Institutes of Vocational Education, um, to, to put a campus in on the Chakwaling. Um, waterfront, well, round there, that area, yeah. which is somewhere near Kuntong, on the waterfront there, thus yet again creating another obstacle to free access and possibly nice access with a park and what you have you to with the waterfront. G- g- what is it? Grass. Grass, yeah, I know, I know. I'm already, I'm already hyperventilating when I think of it because you know what they do on grass, don't you? Nothing oh. in. <laughs> oh, that's right, yes. <laughs> but, I mean, what, what just amazes me about the town planning board, and I say this in inverted commas, is their absolute rigid determination to see the waterfront as an enemy. You know, most people go, gosh... It's it's an opportunity, not an enemy. Well, it's something. I mean, Hong Kong has this potential for a fabulous, and that's not an exaggeration, fabulous waterfront um, on both sides of the harbour. Now, in some places, (laughs) there's already reasons why you can't have free access because there are existing buildings or existing roads. I understand that's problematic. But to actually sit there in a room and plan... A new obstruction to access the harbour front that kind of takes the breath away. 
and you wonder what it is. I know what legacy it is. merchants. I think legacy merchants. It's also the the Ivy probably said to them, you know, we want an integrated campus. It goes in this area. You know, we've already drawn up the plans, and um, oh, can you just tick here? And they went, oh, tick where? You're right, tick. Yeah. I'll tell you what, joking aside, Paul did send me a note and he says of the 73km waterfront, some 50 kilometres will be promenades and more if we move the ports. What is rare along the shore are wider <coughs> areas, parks on the water edge like Sun Yat Sen Park in Sun Yingpun, Tamar Park in Admiralty, Hoi San Park in Tokwa Wan and he goes on a bit. He says with VTC being allowed to build at Chako Ling... We lost the only opportunity for such parks along the coastline between Kai Tak and Leiumun. Yes, yeah. Thank so the, 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 this is, um, you, you know, you're going now into, and I hate to use the words, but a, a, a sort of not a very upper-class area there. And, you know, believe it or not, ordinary people also have right to access Let to them parks. eat bread and circuses. Well, I think a rice a day is perfectly adequate, frankly. Yeah. But um, it, anyway, I mean, it, it is exceedingly disappointing that, that yet again we have this example, this happens to be a bigger one than most, of a determination to obstruct free access to the harbour. I honestly think, Steve, it is people in high positions in various departments, and I keep saying legacy merchants, they want to be known as the guy or, or lady that did this. So that every time you walk past this, there yeah, they shall in, be. In the case of the waterfront, can you think of what a fabulous legacy, I know this is, this is pie in the sky scarf, but if, if, you, if you were so determined oh, yeah, totally. to make your legacy a wonderful, stunning Hong Kong harbourfront... I mean, nobody doubts that the harbour in itself is a pretty stunning entity. So the idea that, that people could walk and, and have recreational facilities along its side, yeah. it's not that... You know, it doesn't require vast amounts of imagination. It's in the bloody obvious box. Well, 50 years previous took care of that one. It's just what's happened well, however many years since. Yeah. Just one little... I'll tell you what, a bit of triv. <coughs> you watch the opening scene of Susie Wong when he's on the ferry yes. with her. Apparently, that harbour was two-thirds wider than it is now. Apparently. Yes. Apparently. Yes. And that whole shot when he's trying to flirt with her on the Star Ferry. Yes. Crazy, huh? That Richard Mason. Do you think he's the bloke? <laughs> who, is, can we blame, blame him? him? Yeah. Loose women on the star ferry. <laughs> I, I, I was trying to blame Richard Mason rather than Susie Wong, but yeah. never mind. Yeah, but so so that's that's just an example. It takes. Yeah. Shall we stick with transportation? Go on, because you know people get interested in that. So they've got this investigation going on into that awful um, bus crash on the Typo Road. Yes, and and you've got the usual you know the usual jobs worth terming up there. So the inquiry asks the Jobsworth, they say, so what is the government's attitude on working hours of drivers? Because a lot of people say that the problem with the buses is the drivers are simply forced to work for so long. They're not in tip-top condition. You know, somebody who's been working 10, 12 hours mm. a day is not as likely to be fresh and sharp as um, somebody who's been working less. Yeah. I don't know how I've worked that out, but I have. So they, they ask the Jobsworth, they say, so what, what are the government regulations on this? And they go, well, we can't have a law on this because it would be inflexible. Get that. We can't have a law on this because it would be inflexible. But we do have guidelines. And as far as we know, and here is, you know, it's the weasel in the pie, as far as we know, they're being observed. Yeah. I don't know if they are. I strongly suspect that they ain't. Yeah. So... Yet again, we have the government 
which which wants to legislate on everything else. I mean, you know, if you, if you pick your nose, I'm sure there's a law against that somewhere. But the irony is, this was horrendous. But this is public safety. This is public safety. And I don't see why. I can't see any logical reason. I mean, the, the, the idea that it's inflexible to say that someone could only drive a public All right, interpret that vehicle. for us. What are, you, what are you reading from those kind of responses? Is that they've had a lot of pressure from the bus companies who said, you know, we've got to have these people working night and day because we haven't got enough drivers and otherwise we'd have to pay them stacks Even of money. Even at the expense of what happened then? Well, you would think that. You, you would think that. This wasn't but, just a prank. if you're a bureaucrat in the transport department, the first people you listen to... And this is the transport department has amazing track record on this. Are the big operators? So you know, in in the big battle over whether Uber should be allowed to to operate, who do they first listen to? The taxi drivers' organisation. This is brilliant. Let's it, not even go there because no, this, no. But, the logic but, but what is I'm saying stunning. is that they have form on this. <laughs> they do. So when it comes to to, to public transport, um, they always listen to what the MTR tells them and the MTR incidentally has a good safety record so we don't need to be quibbling about that but they also listen to the big bus companies and there's only four of them in Hong Kong and they're powerful entities four and they, bus. yeah hmm. in total so I, well I mean I'm sure there's a few private hire bus but that's companies that's quite a lot but that's what I'm trying to say that's actually considering well I, I mean one of those is the Lantau bus company which is considerably smaller than the others but yeah yeah, I don't think it is a lot. I mean, in in it, considering it's shifting, I suppose so. Millions of people a day. Anyway, the fact of the matter is that they they paid prime attention to the bus companies, secondary attention to the public, and somewhere way down the list, they may or may not listen to what the trade unions representing employees of the bus companies say. Yeah, because after all, they're only people in unions. <sighs> Interesting, this one. I mean, like, like like I said before, this wasn't just a bump. This was this was people dying. Horrendous. Well, and you know, we, 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 this isn't the only incident in which um, there have been tragic bus, bus accidents in Hong Kong. I'm not saying they're all caused by the exhaustion of drivers. True, and it's yet to be proven, incidentally, that this incident was caused by the exhaustion of a driver. But there is a certain logic of. I mean, I'm a driver myself. I know. Sometimes when I'm driving and I'm feeling drowsy, I am feeling, ooh, I really want to get this journey over as quickly and, and, as possible and get off the road. You can, you know, temper, but I can temper do, tantrums and stuff. But I can do it. I mean, you know, as a private driver, I can, you know, make it my business either to start the journey a bit later, have a nap beforehand, or, you know, choose not to, not to, not to drive the vehicle. Mm. If you're a bus driver... <laughs> It's your job. Mm. However tired you are, you get in that cabin, you drive the bus, and and a part of this so-called inquiry, it's like all these government inquiries, it will flab out somewhere, but is, you know, they start talking about, oh, you know, these special protective layers of plastic between the drivers and the public so they don't face insults. I'm not quite sure why that's relevant to this, but good on you, boys. You managed to deflect the subject. Well, they haven't. Really, have they? Because well, we're because still on about it. We're still on about it. But check it out, though. So what, what are the fundamental problems here? Uh, you, you mentioned the bus company, and you mentioned staff well, a, for they manpower. they have a shortage of drivers. So if I was 12, I'd say, well, why can't they hire more drivers? Yes, and, so, then, and then the bus company would go, you know, it's a very tight economic situation. I mean, we're already paying them top dollar, by which yeah. they mean bottom dollar. So, yeah, I mean, you know, their, their basic argument is running buses in hong kong is not a very profitable business which happens to be true 
And, you know, if you want to put up our wage bill, see what happens then. But doesn't things like, I mean, to be horribly frank, decapitation and stuff, doesn't that make you rethink your hiring? You would think so. You would think so, wouldn't you? You would. Yeah. Well, um, talking of hiring people, so the government says... They're going to be launching a scheme. I always, I always get excited when the government says it's launching a scheme, actually. Yeah. It makes my day. And they're going to launch a scheme which is going to allow in 1,000 high-tech workers because there's a shortage of them. I don't doubt that is the case. But there is a shortage of they've people. All cleared off to they've all cleared off to other countries. They've all gone off to other places where there's less paperwork and less bureaucracy, you know. I mean, the government never actually says, do you know, maybe there is a problem with our immigration system in processing imported labour. Maybe we should just deal with the basic problem, which is that it's hideously bureaucratic and the only people who can realistically bring in imported labour in Hong Kong are very large companies with humongously large human resources departments because you know the average company just doesn't have the time or the people to do that so so they go let's not let's not challenge the system that's dysfunctional because oh my god can you imagine how difficult that would be let's bring in a scheme just for high tech workers well why high tech workers I mean you look at other crucial areas where Hong Kong has staff shortage. Nurses, the catering industry, which incidentally also impacts on what's supposed to be Hong Kong's important tourism industry. There's a desperate shortage of labour there, but they go, no, 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 high-tech, that's much more glamorous. Radio presenters. Actually, keep them out. Radio presenters. (laughs) There's far too many of them. And most of them are completely useless can i (laughs) but but you know i mean it it is it's so reflective of their thing they think high tech that that sounds good high tech yes 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 We'll, we'll have a scheme for that and we'll ignore the basic problem which is that we don't have a system that works well why not just get a system that works for everybody so that where you have acute shortages and there's more acute shortage incidentally in the catering industry than there is in the high tech industry but you know that's not very glamorous is it i mean mm. you're not going to you know you're not going to get a shiny badge for it, it, having helped out a kitchen in in west kowloon are we still to get excited about the silicon valley syndrome high tech as oh. we were, say, in the 90s or the early 2000s. Well, they've got a whole department dedicated high-tech. to it. High-tech. Yes, high-tech. What's he called? The, 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 the secretary for... High-tech. <laughs> I think he's called secretary for something else, but I, I Innovation, which is, which is even... It's innovation and technology, isn't it? He's called the secretary for innovation and technology. And there's a contradiction But these are terms. things that are uh, organic. I mean, exactly. we, talk about, we talk about lumping musical venues together and lumping this together. And, and anybody worth their sort Sorry, in these were, professions... Were you, were you, were you groping for the word hub i wasn't going to use that <laughs> word but you guys in these people in these professions they will tell you you know yeah. it's it's not just like add water and you have instant yeah. this it grows it's organic yeah yeah well, high tech in that corner well the uh, cyber cyber thingy was that. cyber cyber flop and you know science, cyber pork. science <laughs> park which is rapidly expanding now is okay is that in anybody's opinion the fundamental problem that we're corralling these things before they even exist well, not only corralling, but, 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 but creating bureaucracies to administer the creative. And, and you know, high-tech is part of the creative industries. You know, it's saying, all oh, you creative people, you've got to, first of all, be wonderful bureaucrats before you can access any of our facilities. So what they're basically saying is, be as weaselly and as bureaucratic as ours. Buy yourself some clipboards and the earth's the limit.